Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and those that fit neatly into neither category. Welcome to Star Trek Adventures Reliant. We're an STA podcast on the UGC Starbase website. Uh, tonight, I will be the DM. My name is Gerilyn Blackwell. Uh, with me again is the crew of misfits that unfortunately has drawn duty on the Reliant. Uh, first up, straddling the line between engineering and security, we have Chorog the Nausicaan. Where are the Orion women at? Everywhere. Next up, straddling the line between first officer and chief medical officer, we have Dr. Eli O'Connor. can do both. It's not straddling a line. Maybe like three lines because there's also the blade. Ah, it's unimportant. Next up, straddling the line between local Ibby man whore and the captain, Captain Marcus Graves. I've got nothing at that. Uh, yes, I'm talking, I know I play Marcus Graves. Straddling the line between most innocent character on the entire team, unfortunately for him, and Chief of Engineering, Rick Tier. Oh, well, I would have to agree with that statement full-heartedly. Good evening, I Last that. time... Sorry, go ahead. Ah, that, that was it, I was just saying Hi. And last time on Star Trek Reliant, we left our team as the Reliant was in the middle of two fleets of alien ships, uh, known as the Fraxians and the Lothians, both of which with a significantly lesser technology base than the Reliant, both of whom were about to go into battle against each other until Chaplain Waitley caused minor confusion on both the captain's ships, and then the Reliant drowned out all communication channels being used by those ships with Baby Shark doot 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 doo, Baby Shark doot 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 doo. And this now is where we find our, you know, team and our ship. The Reliant, more or less in between a group of flying cigars and a group of flying Doritos. And we turn now to the bridge and Captain Marcus Graves as he considers his next move. Uh, Graves sighs, looks to the view screen, looks to the ceiling. And says, crap. Try to open a hailing frequency to anyone who would actually pay attention to us. Communications officer taps a few keys. Sending out hails, sir. On the other hand, we are kind of jamming all their frequencies. Let's stop jamming their frequencies. Kara flops over on the console. Thank God. She presses a button and silences the tardigrade singing. Baby tardigrade. Carl looks around for John. John. John is still. It. John is still on. John the is still. Ship. Yeah. Although uh, Skipper is in the corner, uh, dancing. The songs that only Skipper can hear. <laughs> After a few minutes, the Reliant gets a hail from both what appear to be the flagships of either side. On screen. Once again, it's voice only across a crackly radio communications channel. One voice immediately comes in. 
What are you doing? And another voice comes in. That horrible noise. Well, trying to do the standard approach was unlikely to draw your attention and emphasize the point that we're not here to participate in any wars. Well, you've certainly made yourself an annoyance. What do you want? Well, we can't help but notice that a lot of really bad things have happened in the system, including the fact that you two are basically at war with one another over circumstances I can only believe are connected to the destruction of the planets in the outer system. We're happy to help with this however we can. Resources, trade contacts, that type of thing, humanitarian aid. But if you want to just shoot each other, there's not a whole lot I'm going to do to stop you. So the planets that were destroyed in the outer system by a ship of much greater technological magnitude than ours? Uh... Yeah. Although he was using anti-proton weapons. At this point, the uh, security officer, or the tactical officer, uh, God, why can't I remember her name? The Zindi Reptilian. She, uh, uh, Larissa. Larissa actually says, Captain, we are now surrounded on all sides by the ships. Alright. I want to play that way. Uh, Graves, um, is the comm still open? Yes. Graves leans back and says, if we were capable of destroying planets and indiscriminately did so in the outer system, why would we bother trying to talk to you now versus, say, just destroying your fleets? Perhaps you wish to offer an ultimatum. Perhaps you merely wish to intervene so that you can enslave us. Um, both of those are giant hassles, and I'd rather not do that. What proof do you offer that you're not responsible for the calamity? The very presence of your uh... ship here seems to indicate that our long-held suspicions about each other were inaccurate. Well, that's a start. I'd first like to know more information of... Oh, well, let's hold off on that investigation. Since we just arrived in the system, we were concerned ourselves about the uh, presence of a highly destructive force as well, because they would pose a uh, danger to us uh, ourselves and species that we care for in this area. What possible force could destroy a planet like that? A uh, really, really big ship? Like yours? This is not really big. It's far bigger than our comparatively. ships. Uh, it's relatively small on our scale. So you admit you have even larger warships? I admit that there are other species out here that have larger ships than us. I mean, we go relatively larger in size, but we definitely don't make the ships of the greatest magnitude or destructive capabilities. Fact, though, that as of right now, we're not really doing anything. We are having this conversation, we are learning a little bit more each other about each other, and we have stopped broadcasting highly annoying signals 
across all frequencies just trying to have this conversation. I am more than happy to keep having this conversation about learning more about your situation, learning more about ways we can help and stabilize things out here. I'm not going to push myself, though. Graves, go ahead and give me a command presence roll. Yay! And a sec. Test a sec. Keep waiting for it. Huzzah. Oh, there it is. It's in general. I was looking in game time. Oh, I did. Yeah, I did the thing. You did well, you got one thing. success. One success. Fine, if it will stop you from broadcasting that ceaseless noise, then we will agree to a temporary ceasefire. However, we ask that you provide proof that you are not responsible for the destruction of the outer planets. Your vessel is the most advanced uh, we have seen so far. Well, there's a few ways we can go about doing that. We've got our logs. But at the same time, you're not going to trust those, because for all you know, those logs have been falsified. With unknown technological capability, you can believe anything of that. I could have the ship do a demonstration on a non-essential non asteroid of some kind. But again, you could think we're just lowballing that. So, what about this? What about meeting at a neutral location where I simply beam down and meet you. Acceptable. That should work. Alright. Would you be more comfortable if it was me alone, or would you like to meet members of my crew as well? Do as you will, but know that we will be bringing our fleets and keeping reinforcements close at hand. I know. Works for me. So... Hopefully we'll be able to reach more understanding and figure out what happened to your system and help you uh, protect you from it. We will await coordinates of a meeting site. The channel's close. Carl looks back over his shoulder. So, you're not in the peacemaking mood today much, are you? It's definitely not easy today. Do you want to talk about it before you have to go down and negotiate with the alien death fleets? Graves smirks a little bit. Rather not do it on the bridge. Graves gestures to his ready room. All right, all right. We still have to figure out exactly where we're going to go meet these people anyway. All right. Um, let's see. What? Graves taps his comm badge. Graves to Rick Tier and Dr. O'Connor. O'Connor here. Uh, Rick Tier, he's a captain. To, we need to find a, some kind of uh, neutral meeting ground where we can talk to the um, factions that we just discovered. They didn't provide us any insight on what 
might make for an acceptable meeting location. So I want you two to try to figure something out. Maybe some neutral location, asteroid, if there's anything that's we can make shift to be inhabitable, or something on a planetary body. Kara shrugs. They've got warp-capable ships. We could take them back to Magellan. Or we could take mm. them to space dummies. Magellan might work, but pulling their fleets away from their death fleets away from their home system could be seen as an attempt to weaken their defenses. And more importantly, it, like, I'm pretty sure we don't want to draw the death fleets to the nearly crippled station that we're currently trying to repair. Indeed. So let's try to find something in the system. Maybe one of the destroyed planetoids has a residual, uh, an inhabitable, or residual atmosphere, but I want you guys uh, scanning and trying to come up with something. All right, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, there's always EV suits. All right, Graves out. So let's take a moment here and focus off on Dr. Eli O'Connor. How is Dr. Eli O'Connor going to try to figure this out? He's he's wondering that himself right now. Like, doctor, not a illogical geologist. Wow, I don't even need to continue that line of thought. Just geologist. Wow. You're also the first officer, which means you get to wear lots of hats. Being in charge sucks. Well, first thing, off to, um, crap, what's it called? Astrogate, to the astrogation lab, astronomy, whatever. Astrometrics. Astrometrics. Astro thank you, that was the word I was looking for. Off to astrometrics goes Dr. Eli O'Connor, wondering what the hell he's going to do. A few minutes later, he arrives with a whoosh. Oh no. Crap, I thought you were going to give me a second. Shit, shit, shit. Um, if I have to think of stuff on the fly, so do you. <laughs> oh no. Um, it's time to call Randolph Pete Checkers Esquire. <laughs> also, I, I do want to remind you that I also put Rick Tier on yeah. this, so you should be working together per the captain's instructions. So, so Rick will honest, just... I was going to grab him next, so it was just one of those things if I wanted to put Eli on the spot. <laughs> Yes, I am there, and check Eli is there, and now Checkers is too. Cool, you can have a conversation with yourself. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're going to invite Rick to here. Come to Astrometrics. I was about to say, and the camera cuts from the confused-looking Eli O'Connor looking up at the Astrometrics chart coolly to Rick Tier. Uh, who is... Just at the door on the other side of Astrometrics, as he gets a call from uh, Dr. Eli O'Connor, the door's open, and he's just sort of wondering. So, um, do, we, do we know what uh, is habitable for our um, guests? I don't know if they're guests, considering we're not hosting them. You have no information on their biology whatsoever. You've not even seen them. 
So perhaps a, um, a atmospheric scan of their system, see at least what gases and environment they surviving. An excellent idea. One of you give me a reason science role. The um, other person can assist. What's your What's your science? Uh, my science is like one. Uh, okay, so it looks like Eli's going to have to do the science. Is Reason 10, science 4, 14. And I have xenobiologies. Will that help? Absolutely. Alright. So, since he's helping, that's... What was it for helping again? It's just... No, uh, right. helping. He'll roll 1D, whatever okay, the yeah. skill is. Okay, 2D... 20... Uh, Okay, so I've got a two science and a twelve in, uh, reason, so that'll be fourteen as well, but no bonuses. Doesn't the ship have to roll two for doing sensors? Not at the moment, but both of you managed to recall enough from general studies at the academy to figure out how to scan for atmospheric gases. It doesn't take very long for you to determine that there are exactly two worlds in the system that have, you know, atmospheres. One habitable with an oxygen-nitrogen atmosphere that you're used to. The other one seems to be methane and ammonia-based. Joy. Uh, which, which one is the, um, are they coming from? Do we get a science of civilization from... Well, there are only two civilizations and only one planet that is definitely capable of harboring life and one that, unless you have very strange biology, would not be harbitable. Quite possibly, one of the races has very strange biology. But there are only two planets in the entire system that have an atmosphere at all. So it must be those two. Yeah, if they're fighting in space, that means they have to travel interstellar distances and they haven't nuked themselves yet, so... All right, so Based then... on the radiation counts, not from lack of trying. Hey, fair enough. So then we're going to have to set up an environment that is um, separate areas of control. One uh, oxygen-nitrogen environment, one the methane... I think we should just use EV so it's just going to be so much simpler for everyone. We could set up um, each individual suit to 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 have the required environment for each individual. You don't no, it's really... BYO and SS. Bring your own spacesuit. Yeah, go ahead and give me an engineering reason roll, Rick. Alrighty, so that'll be seventeen. Jeez. Yeah, he's good at reasoning and, and engineering. He's not good at um, insight. Yeah, you you're you're you have an easy enough time putting together the pieces that if they have spaceships, they have a lot of stuff in orbit. They almost certainly must have atmospheric suits, EV suits. Alright, um, so then we just need to set up a 
do we even need to, if they've got a EV suit then we just need somewhere to beam down to somewhere that's reasonably flat and somewhere we can talk I don't think there would be any other requirements I think you need some kind of table or other equipment this is where checker chimes in Perhaps I can be of assistance. What if I told you we could hollow out an asteroid? Maybe give it a couple windows, have a fun time with it. So the clock ticks by as everyone just kind of considers this. <laughs> I, w I would rather not um, flaunt our technical superiority. It's not flaunting if we just do it so we have shelter from space cold. You don't want to get a space cold now, do you? Well, that's what we you don't have want your guests to get space cold. EV suits for. You're so during all this, there's just a science ensign who's been working at his own terminal, and he's looking more and more alarmed and uncomfortable near checkers. Interstellar radiation is a thing. You don't want to get space radiation if you're sitting out there on a meteor's bare surface. You want to be on the inside of it. You want to be comfy, like a foxhole, but bigger. Well, we could easily just set side on the opposite side of the asteroid. Have the asteroid itself do the filtering. Sure, you can do that if you're boring. So, while this discussion is going on, the camera pans up to Graves' ready room. <laughs> All Graves right, is. Why so grumpy? Uh, got some messages from Starfleet. Nothing particularly bad, but uh, just having to file a lot more paperwork out of the ship variety of the U variety. What? Ship variety of the E variety? What? Oh. Me variety. Not oh. ship, so. Not, yeah, not of the normal course of duty, but justifying my place in Starfleet. Admirals have started making a stink about my past. And I thought that was settled, but apparently is it? It isn't. After all I've done, there's still questions. Welcome to Starfleet. How many times have I nearly been court-martialed and I've only been here, I don't know, less than a year? I, if I'm going to be court-martialed, I expect it's because I've done something, not because I applied to the Academy while uh, coming out of my situation. Welcome to Starfleet, sir. Yeah. So, yeah, not in a particularly cheery mood right now. Do you want someone else to take over the diplomacy then? No. Should be able to handle it. And naturally I don't want stuff getting like this getting me down because if there is an issue then while the review is going on it's just looking worse. 
Okay, well, you know, make sure you talk to Waitley if you need to, or, I don't know, down a quart of Romulan ale. You'll feel better for a while, anyway. Yeah, you do that afterwards. Uh, he tries to look a little bit more casual, just doing a little bit of a Picard maneuver on his uniform, wincing slightly as he's trying out the new Odyssey uniform pattern, but it's not quite fitting just right. Right, and, well, here in a bit, we're probably going to have to check on Eli and Rick. I kind of thought they'd already be back to us by now. And from here, the camera pans down to Chorok, who is walking through the corridor. And as he goes along from behind the door, he just hears, Asteroid, no. Asteroid, no. Asteroid, no. Telling you, I can build a device. We drop it in the middle of a hole. I dig into the asteroid. It will go, and then it will destroy the asteroid. Wait, no, we're trying to hollow it out. Shit, never mind. <laughs> Roll back. I, I, and Eli's just in the corner like, why? This was a mistake. I am well versed in the capability of constructing devices to hollow out, to mine out, and to otherwise smooth out areas within a rocky asteroids, particularly. But no, we do not need to. We, we are in a situation where we need to comfort, not remind people that we can blow up an asteroid. We're not blowing up the asteroid. That's why I corrected myself, thank you. Now we hollow it out, we, we make some chairs, we can make chairs with it, a table. We could be fancy. And what exactly goes through Chorog's head, and what does Chorog do hearing all this on the other side of a door? Well, Chorog's walking by, just going over a pad, and he hears this conversation, stops and thinks for a second to himself. You know, it's a pity we're not near one of my old storage asteroids, fully furnished and shielded and ready to go. Yeah, the unfortunate part about being an exploration ship is sometimes your places even pirates haven't been yet. I don't think we are going to make this decision ourselves, Checkers. Should we just raise it to the captain? You know what? I think we'll have to. Because I am set on this. I, I think we can do good. Listen, I'm an experienced negotiator. So, back up on the captain's ready room, there's a bosun's whistle. And the intercom has, you know, lit up. The rave's here. The first thing he hears as soon as he hits the button is, Asteroid, no. Asteroid, no! No asteroid. You haven't even heard my proposal. Hey, Jackers! I was invited here, thank you. And as we uh, all know, like audience, it is very hard to uninvite someone after you've invited them. Uh, Captain, um, we there's this discussion about the nature of uh, an asteroid where Checkers here is wanting to hollow out an asteroid to shield the guests from the environment of space, considering everyone is going to be in an asteroid in a movie suit anyway. 
Peckers pipes up. Um, consider this, if you're sitting there, you're standing on an asteroid, you don't want lights blinding you, and if one side is getting blinded but the other isn't, they're going to be upset. They're not going to want to negotiate. You have to think uh, about these things. What, what about any of the other planets? Have you checked by those? Well, the, there's only uh, two, syst- two planets that have an atmosphere. Um, and each civilization came, comes from one of them. What about those planets that don't have an atmosphere if we're considering EV soups? That is, would just be as, just as viable. Captain and, being an astrometrics, you can tell that in addition to the destroyed planets at the outer edges of the system, there is something a little closer in that's little more than just a rock. Captain, I have to eject, Checker says. If these planets are destroyed and these people are upset about it, going to the thing that they think we destroyed is probably not a good idea. See, check this. This planet out hasn't been destroyed. The, the other ones have. That one in particular. But this he one, Poserine, hasn't been. That planet has not been destroyed. It's just that barren and uninteresting by default. Any signs of industrial development on that uh, rock? Uh, there is literally no atmosphere, no signs of any kind of civilization. No, no uh, I would have to do a scan just to double check, but I can't see there being any kind of power output of any kind coming from that rock. It is, from what we it's can got tell... Some very nice, it's got some very nice craters if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah, from what I can do, it's All right. just a rock. Alright, so let's go ahead and... Here, let's do it this way. Let's go ahead and take a shuttlecraft and land in one of the craters. That can basically be our operating base while in EV suits. And invite the other factions down. If there's objections, then we can certainly work around those. But... I like the idea of using some something that basically hasn't figured uh, factored into their history. They haven't fought over, say, mining rights for that thing. And then using that as basically like, okay, that's where we have our conversation. Kara looks up from her pad. Sir, if there's a more boring rock in this system, I can't find it. So I think you're pretty safe. Yep, I vote Boring Rock. Uh, boring Rock. Eli it... speaks up. Boring Rock. Crackers, he, he just crosses his arms. Which doesn't come across, considering it's just an audio-only intercom, but somehow everyone knows. Uh, yes. The decision seems to have been made, despite uh, Randolph's uh, checkers' objections. Might I suggest you get Chorog to pilot the uh, spacecraft, sir? He could also back you up if somehow things went, you know, south. Agreed. Let's see. Is there anything else we should consider before heading down? Uh, Any backup supplies that you might need? Well, I was going to say, what are we having for dinner? But I guess that seems like something we can answer later. 
The missile is Eight. open. Okay. Right. Anyway, um, good talk. Kara heads back out to the bridge. <laughs> uh, Graves is just still in the comms. He called, or he says, "All right, if there's nothing else. Then let's go ahead uh, relay the information to the uh, factions and prepare as best we can for a small we- uh, welcoming uh, reception on an ast- or on a very boring rock." It's totally going to be called that in perpetuity, isn't it? Yep. Quite possibly. Uh, you can already see Rick entering Boring Rock into the the um, astrometrics cartography section. Well, I'm just imagining now that it's going to be also a children's book for Skipper, The Very Boring Rock. All about geology. That's for right. Grades. That's is going to write that up. Now, I suggest we take a quick break because it looks like Chorog, who we were going to need for the next scene, is currently on the phone. Chorog Chorog receives his orders to report to the shuttle bay. He gets to fly the captain down to the boring space rock to have a peace talk with all the weird aliens. And to blow shit up if things go south. Win-win situation. Chorog walks into and the shuttle bay goes over to where his private shuttle is stored. Why not fly in comfort? I'm well, not sure Klingon and comfort usually go together in the same sentence. I'm different. I'm a pirate. I like to travel in comfort. What can I say? The only Toron shuttle with hard wood and leather interior. Targ leather. There you go. Drog uh, deactivates the security field, opens the boarding ramp, and ushers everybody aboard. Everybody consisting of one grumpy-looking Captain Graves. Who Trog handles a... Trog hands him a space sick bag, just in case. Considering he's already in an EV suit, that could get very unfortunate for him if he has to get that helmet off quick. Captain, have you ever actually flown in a in a Toron class shuttle before? Um, once. Oh, are you? I take that helmet off and keep that basic bag. Quite handy. Sure. This is gonna be a bumpy ride. Well, if it's gonna be bumpy, we could use one of the other shuttles we've got. Nah, I like my shuttle. True, but are we gonna be able to say get off the planet in a hurry if things start shooting at us? I've modified the show myself. It this is a very zippy ship. It's it's good for getting away when I need to. Considering you're talking to a former pirate in his customized shuttle, I'm not even going to make you do the reason roll. You're pretty sure. Okay. Graves nods, sits down, says, "All right, get us underway." All right. Make sure you're buckled up. Let's get let's uh, go ahead and get this party started. Sure. I'll give me a control. Con roll. Oops, hang on. Yeah, as I was about to say, is target number of 132. Very easy. Hell yeah. Even better. <laughs> You've 
No, Graves uh, is not going to get. His mood is not going to improve from this. I, I'm going to go with the first one, which technically would have been one success and one complication. Okay. So, Graves, unfortunately, does not get his seatbelt on in time and is first blasted backwards and then forwards and then back into the chair again and then around the bin, around the cabin a little bit as Chorog quickly flies over to the boring little rock planet. He's starting to feel like maybe that bag is a good idea. I told you this ship was zippy. Graves just swears. Tries to get to his seat. Seems like this shuttle might need the inertial dampener tuned. That's a little bit. Nah. It's an easy enough flight over. Most of the fleet follows the shuttle, although a sizable number of ships stay behind with the Reliant, keeping it in a loose cloud of don't make us shoot you. At least that's what you assume the implied message is. Who knows, they're aliens. Don't make us shine our flashlights at you. (laughs) Damn it, Eli. These are the latest lasers. Pew pew. Error effective at a range of 20 feet. Lasers, how quaint. Beam a photon torpedo onto their bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the Tauron goes over and lands on the planet, and Graves steps out into the airless void by himself. It's a very dusty, unpleasant planet. If he's ever been to Luna, it probably reminds him of Luna. Up towards the sky, there are two points of light that slowly grow bigger and bigger, is two, well, let's call them quaint landing craft reach the ground. Both of them chemically propelled. Graves finds a handy rock, settles in, and tries to look as casual as possible, all sitting by himself on a very boring rock. All you need is a holographic campfire. It's s'mores! It doesn't take too long for at least one person out of each craft to come clambering out. On the one side, there is a short, stocky alien who, to all appearances to you, kind of reminds you of roundabouts the size of a uh, Tellarite. There we go. My brain would not function for a moment. So you've got someone who seems to be Tellarite size, short and stocky, coming your way from one direction. And from the other... Direction, a tall, lanky alien with four arms. Graves waves. The aliens stop and look at him for a moment. Seem to be determining whether or not that was supposed to be a threat. And then apparently decide that maybe it wasn't and Uh, walk forward again. (laughs) Graves waits patiently for the two to approach. You are now next to two aliens in EV suits. Both of them have reflective visors up, so you can't see very much about them other than the general shape of their bodies. Both of them are staring at each other, probably having never seen either of the other one anywhere up close either. Graves says, all right, can you hear me? There's a hiss and a crackle and a pop, and then it says, yes, we hear you. It's a little difficult not to at this distance. Even... Our primitive communications technology is quite up to the task. All right. Wanted to make sure that we didn't have any technical difficulties. So my name is Marcus Graves. I'm a human from the planet Earth. 
and a member of the United Federation of Planets. You get the feeling that the Universal Translator is working hard on the next few sentences. I am Klex of the Firaxians. This comes from the tall alien. I am Korath of the Lothans. Comes from the smaller one. Graves nods. All right, then. So, as I am the newcomer here, what, in a sense, or in, in short, what the hell happened to the system? An excellent question. One we don't have many answers to. For hundreds of years, we'd assumed that the Braxians had been responsible for destroying the outer planets. Likewise, we had suspected that the Lothians had done so. And then here you are, showing up on our doorstep. Well, someone's going to eventually. It's a relatively busy galaxy, and if it's not me, then it's going to be some other species. And I might not be the last. Most are personable, reasonable, negotiate with them, some are hostile, but... There aren't many that will just indiscriminately destroy several planets within a single system. And then the outer planets of that. As you mentioned the other species, Klex looks up kind of nervously towards the sky, whereas the shorter Korthar simply crosses his arms and looks grumpy. So, there's a lot of anomalous radiation in the system. It was difficult to try to get a reading of what was happening here. So, if you're worried, that's likely going to dissuade others who are looking for reasons to be here. Profit, obvious allies, that kind of thing. That they may not look at this system as something that worth, basically worth trying to navigate through. The Federation, uh, well, in a sense, we're scientists. We go out, we try to learn as much as we can, and make as many friends as possible. Because that expands our horizons and just lets us know a little bit more about the universe. So, we've got records, you can view them at your leisure if you want to have that for what it's worth, but my goal right now is basically just to get a dialogue so we can start working together. Not in any sense where you have to bow down to me, anything like that, no strings attached. I want to figure out what happened to the outer planets, and if there's a danger of dealing with that. And that charge along the way? Marcus, go ahead and give me another command presence roll. Hey, Marcus is vaguely competent at this. Doesn't take long, but he manages to get the two aliens talking. Not about anything in particular other than the system itself, but for now it's progress. Meanwhile, we cut up back to the Reliant Bridge, where Eli is in charge. Science officer looks down at her instruments. Sir, it looks like the radiation pockets have cleared a little bit. I'm getting some better scans of the system. Oh, what do you got? Let's see, I... I... Oh, God. Is there an issue? I'll, uh, I'll put it up on the main screen, sir. Roger that. Put it up. Oh, boy. As she says this, up on the main screen comes the image of a doomsday machine. The anti-proton packing planet killer. Um, I'll put a channel directly to the captain. Opening, sir. 
Captain Graves, can you hear me? I can. For the love of all that is good to get the fuck out of there. Uh, why? Doomsday Machine. Is it active? Maybe, but I we've seen it. This might be what caused it. I'm not. I don't want to uh, risk waking it up. Okay. Uh, basically, don't do anything. Um, if I simply go now, that's going to be bad. So let me go ahead and talk to the aliens here. We're making some progress. Um, Ensign, is that active? Any power readings? Sir, it is coming towards us at approximately warp 1.3. It's coming at us, Captain Graves. Uh, take a, er, take evasive actions. I'm going to, um... We're going to signal to the rest of the manage. Yep, uh, go ahead, signal the fleet. We'll probably need some help. The science officer looks over at Eli before the camera cuts away. T-minus eight minutes, sir. Uh, is this something do you think we should call Star... Captain, do you think we should call Starfleet itself? Because this is kind of a big deal. Uh, I, I just, just said you know, contact the fleet. Okay, because when I said Eli. contact the fleet, I Eli. was talking Eli. about everyone around here. I'm talking about getting ships that can actually deal with this thing. I am absolutely telling you to start contact Starfleet, Klingons, whoever's in range. Um, you got it, Captain. And I'm going to tell these other ships to get the hell out of here. All right, point them to the danger. Uh, basically, yeah. Anyway, let me take care of this here. Get off the comms. Deal with the situation. Roger that, Captain. Graves turns to the aliens and says, um, we found what did this. How are you so sure suddenly? A moment ago, uh, you didn't have any clue. We The ionizing radiation has opened up a little bit, and Graves at this point uh, starts drawing the shape of a planet killer. Does this mean anything to you? It looks like a seashell. Uh, there's no records, no sightings, nothing that wouldn't label this as dangerous in mythology, anything. No, it just looks like a seashell, the kind you find on most beaches. Alright, well, this Graves gives the approximate dimensions and essentially feeds on planets. We've seen this before and I'm currently... Uh, we're basically pretty terrified. That's a very Imagine large what? number. Yeah. Lothian kind of looked up. Holy other one. Think about your reaction to my ship. This, I'm having the same reaction to this ship. It's an automated device. It's possible to destroy it, but it's an incredibly dangerous operation. And I would simply recommend that your ships move out of the way. Just don't engage it, because it will effectively fire out of the forward, ap uh, forward aperture. And my ship is in danger of that. You said you know how to destroy it, though. So how do you uh, destroy it? A very large matter-antimatter reaction directly within the thing's aperture. Everywhere. The two aliens look back and forth in a minute, uh, after a moment, and then just kind of turn back to you. We don't have anything capable of that. You are correct. The I wasn't aware that antimatter was even controllable. Uh, it's what powers my ship. The first Doomsday device that was encountered was destroyed with the self-destruction of a vessel like mine. 
It would seem, then, that we have a problem. Indeed. There is a thing we could try, but again, this is highly dangerous, where we could try to eject this matter-antimatter reaction core and try to destroy the ship, but it would cripple my vessel. And if it does not work, then my crew is dead. We could also try to lure it away from any inhabited planets and wait for my people's fleet to arrive. Whereupon, we destroy it and get out of your hair. It's also possible that Rick Tier might have some insight onto exactly how to generate a big enough boom. He's an engineer. Come to that, Chorog might also have input. He's not only an engineer, but a fan of booms. <laughs> they can work on this on their own. Graves is doing diplomacy. So I guess that raises the question. As the news begins to filter out about the Doomsday Weapon, do Chorog or Rick Tier offer any advice? Chorog has been sitting in his shuttle monitoring the negotiations in case things went south. And heard well, Graves mention Doom- They have gone very south. And heard Graves mention Doomsday to- Doomsday Machine. That gets the gears rolling. Trog to Rictir. Are you there? Uh, Rictir here. Uh, take it you've seen the news? I've seen the news and I think I have a possible solution. So what do you think uh, developing a, a fusion reaction uh, some kind of antimatter missile? What, what's your thoughts? If we could get together enough, a big enough fusion bomb, we can disable the thing. And by fusion bomb, I'm thinking if we can get our hands on one of the disabled enemy ships, they run off of fusion power. I say we feed a few of those to that, to that beast, then detonate them. We also have shuttles, which run off fusion power. We've run off any matter. Well, we'd need to pack those shells with enough explosives to trigger a big enough fusion explosion. We'd have to run the numbers anyway, see how big a reaction we would need and see if see what we would need to do to get there. Think Starship warp core explosion sized. That's what killed one of them. I so let's go ahead and have... Uh... Trog and Rick here both do a quick reason engineering. Uh, with EPS, no, I don't think EPS would count on this one. No, if you had uh, basically structural systems or something to do with explosives, that would probably affect this. Trog has mechanical tinkering, pyrotechnics, and, and improved construction. Improvised I'm going that pyrotechnics works. I think you kind of meant that to be explosives in general. Okay, Rick gets two successes. Trog gets one success and one complication. Both of you come to the same conclusion. If you took one or two of the primitive ships, packed them full of photon torpedoes, and flew them into the thing, if you didn't destroy it, you would definitely at least disable it for a while. By time. 
Rick, on the other hand, also comes across the important step that they should probably remove the crews from those ships first, whereas Chorog is uh, a little more laissez-faire. With the power output of the uh, fusion drives, we should be able to get enough with if we completely gut the some of their ships with if we just pack them full of four turn torpedoes. Uh, we'd have to rig up uh, some kind of remote control. Provided the remote control is operable once it gets in range of that thing. It is. Um, What's the scale of the aperture? Oh, it's about a kilometer across. Yeah, it is. It's a little. It's a little, it's a little bigger across than the width of a Constitution class starship. Yeah, yes. I'll admit I'm just kind of eyeballing it. I'm guessing that that's about a kilometer. Well, a kilometer is certainly enough um, leeway for. Less accurate maneuverability. We should be able to get there without any, with little. We can pack one of the ships with standard photon torpedoes, and one of the other ones, if we have them on board, quantum torpedoes. Well, uh, let's get to Armory and. Um... Per previous. Uh... Previous decisions, I believe the captain has made it uh, decisive that the Reliant is armed with quantum torpedoes. This is correct, Graves? Yeah, Graves goes for quantum. Oh, All there right. you go. There you have it, folks. Okay, with, with that right. uh, firmly set, then uh, Rick T will contact the captain. Uh, captain as Rick soon as I can get, As soon as I can pull Graves out of here and I get back to Reliant, we'll go to work. Quick camera cut to the bridge and the incident at the science station. T minus four minutes, sir. Cut back to the planet, where the two aliens are currently arguing with Graves, steadfastly refusing to evacuate. So the as aliens Graves are refusing to evacuate. Yes, as oh, Graves yeah. now gets this, you know, message in his ear. Captain, uh, we have to go now. If they won't All go, right. I'll make them go. Uh, stand down for the moment. Graves turns to the other two. We've got four minutes before that thing arrives. At which point, it's probably going to destroy this planet. No one's saying that we shouldn't leave this planet, but we're not going to just leave our system to some... some crazy seashell death machine. All right, yeah. We definitely don't want that to happen either. Um, the current plan is to load up a ship with explosives and detonate its fusion core. The blast should, at the very least, disable the vessel. At most, it blows it up completely. And we definitely want to try to avoid that being close to any inhabited system, because the debris can also be dangerous. So... Let's go ahead uh, and make a plan here. Do either of you have any derelict ships with working fusion drives? Probably, but none that would be able to arrive in time. A simpler solution exists. I'll order my crew to abandon ship and you can have the flagship. 
An excellent idea. I can do likewise. One ship to either of our All right. feet make a difference. Alright. Sounds good. We can lie or we can prepare one and then send in another if need be. Uh not commit ourselves to sending both in simultaneously when both might be destroyed simultaneously as well. Um by defensive mechanisms. So we'll go ahead and plan for that. We'll evacuate uh right now and see to the accommodations. Uh we'll keep on contact on comms and but, um, deal with this as best we can. The two aliens make affirmations and then start to jog back to their, you know, respective landing craft. Meanwhile, in orbit, Eli, you can tell that two of the ships suddenly start ejecting escape pods le left, right, and center. Crazy. Graves contacts the uh, Reliant, says, All right, Reliant, you've got two chances here. Um, both flagships are now at our disposal. Um, go ahead and, uh, link in with their, uh, flight control systems. And get ready to send one of them at a time at the, um, Doomsday Machine. Are, are we beaming any torpedoes over? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Beam as many torpedoes as we can into both of those ships. Wait, before we beam those torpedoes over, I want to make some modifications. Wait, mm -hmm. aren't you with the... Dude, we right. don't have the time. The science officer looks over. Yeah, Jorog. Run us two minutes. We got two minutes, Jorog. You don't have time. You're getting me out of here right now. Focus on your objective. We're getting in the shuttle. We're flying back to the Reliant. Yeah, they the are loading everything up and taking... Roger, oh. sir. No sign of the fleet yet, sir. They are probably oh. at least an hour out. Jorog right. hurriedly makes right, preparations okay. for the shuttle to leave. Uh, Rick here sort of runs into the bridge and asks, Carl, uh, do you want to take control of these craft? I will need to try and uh, hook into their systems and reroute the controls to your console to try and make this work. You want me to fly uh, our flying remote-controlled bomb? Sure! Larissa looks over. I'm uncomfortable with how quickly she said yes to that. Alright, with that out of the way, uh, Rick starts to work. I want to do something unusual here, and I'm just going to make a ship roll. So, I don't have stats to the ship, I'm just going to kind of make it up, but let's see how this goes. I have stats. They're in the drive. I said, I don't have stats. That's different than there aren't stats. But hey, do you really want to argue with what I just rolled? Yes, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. no! No, 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 Three successes is good. With great efficiency and technological know-how, the security team is quickly able to take the first of the ships, the cigar-shaped one, and fill up just about every empty space on it with photon or with quantum torpedoes. It'll take them a bit longer to start on the Dorito-shaped ship, but already you have at least one flying bomb at your disposal. Meanwhile, the ensign at the science console starts counting down from ten. And, uh, okay, does Rick need to do something to lower remote control of the ship? Clara. No, it's a very simple system. It'll just be up to Kara to try to make sure she knows what she's doing. 
Your fate is in her hands. Oh. Um, oh no. As the ensign finishes her countdown, suddenly the doomsday machine exits warp near the group of ships. It stops and turns around slowly and ponderously as if surveying the situation. Question. Answer. And set to detect this. Well, considering that it's a machine, she should be able to, but it's definitely alien and unlike anything she's known before. She does have focuses in anthropology and information systems. If you want to try something. Setsa has not been in the loop about any of this. She's just working in the science bay on the science project, just doing a little bit of statistical analysis when she gets that strange feeling that something is out there. And reflexively, she pokes at it, just seeing... What is this? Just off of reflex between her neural interface and her Borg implants. Okay. Give me a control science. I'm going to also make sure I've looked up uh, my talent sheets here. Just to be sure I'm not overlooking something. That might be useful. <laughs> so, let's see. I get a bonus d20 from computer expertise. And... That's it. I get 3d20, and it was a control what roll? Control also, science. And do those focuses apply? Artificial intelligence is also a focus. Artificial intelligence would apply. Okay. Just two. With two successes, Setsa is quite successful in discovering one, this thing is incredibly old. Two, it is on a power scale that is vastly beyond her in anything she has encountered. And most importantly, three, she does this without drawing its attention. Setsa falls over backwards. Meanwhile, back on the bridge, Kara just looks over. Uh, do you want me to bomb it? Or should we wait until it does something? Um, uh, bomb it. Let's go. Okay. Yeah, Kara, initiate bombing. Kara waits a moment for the ship to turn, and then... <laughs> wait, hold on a second. Oh, wait. Kara... I don't mean to suggest how you do things, but do you think you could pull up a card maneuver as in the actual starship maneuver? Warp right in front of it and then just, you know, sneak up on it. Sneaky beaky like. Kara, without looking up from her console, simply says, do I tell you how to operate on people? Just asking. You mean, you know, you could ask me to do things with your arm. 
Sure. Hey, complication. Kara sends the first bomb-loaded ship off. But at the last second, it veers slightly and crashes somewhat sideways into the Doomsday Machine, not getting the full effect. The Doomsday Machine shudders and then turns towards the fleet and starts gathering energy. Graves uh, signals, you miss there. Yes, thank you. I'm quite aware of that. Next time, don't try anything fancy. Just fly it straight in. Shut up! You think you can get better? Get up here and drive. She denied me I'm the ability, the suggestion of anything fancy already, so... Graves is doing his best to return the ship. You arrive! You're really glad you had that, that space sickness bag. Can Setsa detect what's happening here? She can detect that there's something now that has found something to do. It is pleased at having something to do. And it is gathering energy to do a thing. Setsa is frantically trying to calm it down and tell it to do nothing. Go ahead and give me a control uh, science roll. By the way, anything that's not a success will be a complication. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh. Uh-huh. Boom! Five successes! Against <laughs> all odds. Against all reason. And probably what could be described as the greatest deus ex machina moment ever. <laughs> The bridge sees the Doomsday Machine suddenly stop gathering energy. And what Ludlid has gathered dissipates harmlessly in little more than a small mist of antiprotons out the front of the machine. <laughs> and it goes still. I don't know what did that car up, but hit it quick, quick before it decides against this. Right, 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 right. I'm on it, I'm on it, I'm on it. This time, using the Dorito-shaped uh, ship, she's dead on the money, firing it directly down the thing's throat. And then starts a chain of explosions. Kara looks around. Um, now would be a very good time to leave. Indeed, get us the hell out of here. She starts to turn the reliant while, you know, the communications officer sends a similar, you know, statement to everyone else. Within a few seconds, everyone enters warp in almost random directions, simply trying to be anywhere that isn't here. So, afterwards, from a few hundred thousand kilometers away, through the main view screen, you see as the Doomsday weapon explodes, and pieces of the Neutronium hull start spinning out through the entire system. All right, all right. Uh, they get a call from the bridge. We're on the bridge, what? Oh, sorry, they, they, uh, the bridge gets a call. Okay. Put it on. Um, 
interrupting, but what just happened? Ari killed the Doomsday Machine. Doomsday Some reason it yeah, it just it, for, it was going to kill us, but then it stopped, and then we killed it while it wasn't looking. It probably was. That's a passes out. Uh, alright. Pontex Starfleet, tell them they don't have to send ships to assist. Probably a, science, a couple science ships at least, though. There's a few minutes of silence. Then the crackle of a radio. Did we win? Uh, we did! Well, that's good news. Sacrifice for not in vain. Because uh, I don't think they sacrificed anything, sir. Ships. They sacrificed the ships. That's the sacrifice. It counts. Right. I'll be sure to thank my replicated potatoes for their sacrifice later. I mean, if you had to pay a couple million, I don't know what money they use, and numerous limited resources, yeah, that's a sacrifice. So, uh... Are we going to mourn all those quantum torpedoes? Oh, and at no. that point, the the camera shifts down to Rick Tier in engineering. Everybody is looking very relieved. Well, uh, rather glad that the ship doesn't have to suffer from this or that Andy Proton. Uh, what do you mean, okay? We're doing good. Good that job, everyone. One of the ensigns just kind of flumps down on his console and says, why can't we have a normal weekend for once? This is Starfleet. Risk is part of the job. Charles, by this time, has reached engineering and heard the uh, crewman's response. Ah, normal's boring. So where is Captain Graves at this particular moment? Captain Graves is in the turbo lift, uh, uh, heading to the bridge. The turbo lift door is open. There's Graves in a dusty EV suit. He looks just slightly green. Car looks mm. over. Chorog's flying, huh? Needs mm. work. Oh, no, I'd say it's actually quite good. I mean, you didn't throw up or right. anything. At least that I can yeah. tell. All right. Uh, let's have a look at the uh, planet killer. The science officer at her station zooms in on it. There's not much left anymore. There's a rapidly expanding cloud of large chunks of debris spiraling out through the system. Model the t flight paths of their of those chunks and estimate any points of contact with the inhabited planets. That second one should have been a 1d20, but she looks up and says, uh, doesn't look like there's any immediate danger for the next hundred or so years, sir. Uh, let's still feed the 
uh, friends we've just made, or people we've just met, and feed them information about any, uh, basically give them full data and estimated um, times of impacts, and a prioritized list of what fragments they should be taking care of. The science engineer looks at the data, looks over at the communications, looks at the data again, salutes. I'll go find a printer, sir. Sounds good. Send some other reading material out their way. And as far as everything else goes, it'd be interesting to see if they do anything with that nitronium. Moon looks back over his shoulder. Well, you know, it's not like it's that easy to do anything with. Well, little tardigrades can just strap bone helmets on them and do some pretty significant damage. Or create nice little homes for themselves. So, they can get creative. Anyway, though, let's go ahead and open a hailing frequency to the um, uh, to the commanders of each uh, fleet. Yep. While that's going on, Larissa looks down from her station at the captain and says, Skipper's on the bridge, sir. I'd watch what you say about neutronium and tardigrades a little more carefully. Skipper is now not on the bridge. Kara looks over to where Skipper was. Feck! Cut to piece of neutronium floating in space, gently spiraling. There's a blue flash. It's a tardigrade squealing. It's closer and closer and closer. Arms outstretched. Look of pure delight on its, on its face. Skipper just cries, Mine! As they hug the piece of neutronium. Meanwhile, back on the bridge. Car shrugs and uh, says, all right, sir, radio is open. Say whatever you want to say. All right. Hello there. This is Captain Graves. We have confirmed destruction of the planet killer. And I'd like to thank you for your cooperation in doing so, simply because that thing was a nightmare. We could have a look around the system just to make sure that there are no other surprises like that. Uh, though I sincerely doubt it at this point. From what proceeds in here, that's entirely up to you. We can hang around for a little bit longer, or we can simply leave and let you um, take care of the situation. We are preparing to send you over some scientific reports detailing the flight paths and estimated points of danger for the debris field that is maneuvering or uh, beginning to spread out through the system. But your ship should be able to maneuver any of the chunks out of harm's way. We appreciate your help. In our society, the only thing to have ever come from the sky before was death. We appreciate the offer of friendship. Indeed, likewise for my people. We did not think that there was more than war to be had in the universe. All right, then. Well, we can hang, uh, hang around for a few days. Um, our mission's a little bit more on the go, but we can certainly have uh, dedicated science vessels um, uh, visit your system, and we can also relay a location of a trading um, 
base that we're trying to get established not uh, too far from here that you would be able to visit. We would appreciate that information. All right, we can transmit the coordinates of a radio. Um, and then as far as the reports go, we're preparing some hard copies to send over to your ships. You know, the communications officer closes the radio for now. Car turns around. So do I have permission to, like, sucker punch Futagami or... Um... Permission denied. We don't want to get on our bad side if this is her good. Kara blinks a few times. Point. She turns back to her station. Betsa is still passed out in the science lab. Meanwhile, out in space. Out in space. Coop. There's a heavy dong on one of the airlifts, uh, airlocks. And Ensign looks out the window, sees a giant chunk of neutronium now stuck to the ship. Blinks. Turns back around, goes the other way. And now in Club 42, Checkers is selling limited edition Doomsday Machine snow cone holders. Is there anything else anybody wants to take care of tonight? I do believe you have resolved the mission. Okay, okay. Graves is just going to head down to Club 42 for a very well-earned drink. Kara goes down to see Setsa, opens the door, sees her sprawled on the floor, walks over, stares down. Hey, you okay? Doomsday machine. Yeah, it's junk now. That's good. I, I told it to go to sleep. Yeah, I don't know if it entirely did that, but... It bought us a little time. Uh, that, that was a, a little scary. Like, can someone tell me next time that there's like a doomsday machine outside? Like just detecting it was not the best experience. Kara reaches down to help Setsa up. Helps her up. Leads her over to a console. And shows her the blinking, flashing message informing all the crew that a doomsday machine was imminent in arrival. Oh. Well, kind of busy, I guess. Kara laughs and Pat sits on the back. Eli's gonna head down to Club 42 as well. A seat next to Graves. Grimnir makes sure that the gentlemen have plenty of liquor. Graves' socks are almost knocked off. Hell of a week, huh? And it's only Monday. Yeah. Well. 
At least, well, good situation here. Gets thing, you know, hopefully get some stuff off my back. But we did good today. Yeah. Graves just has long sigh. Uh, yeah. What is wrong, but, my best friend? Probably, like, my only well, friend, if I'm going to be honest. Graves, he almost asked about checkers, but I was like, okay, I'm not going to impact that relationship. Also, somewhere Kara's ears tingle. <laughs> oh, no. Well, there's a grim near... Oh, Waitley makes a note, too. <laughs> Internally. Soon. Was it exaggeration? I was about to say, I think with that, without meaning to, <laughs> Eli O'Connor has just given us a lot of insight into his character and the problems he currently has. He's got a, he's got many problems. No one's bothered to ask. He died. It's like everyone made a joke out of it. What do you ask someone who's been dead? <laughs> How is the PP tube? <laughs> See, that's why he's like. Uh... What do you ask uh, the guy who's been dead? How's Elvis? Be now. There's a question uh... he can answer. Still eating the butter, bacon, and banana, and jelly sandwiches. Uh, Graves takes another uh, shot of his green drink. Says, sometimes I won't, you know, this job seems nice, but at least for right now, I can still feel like I'm do we're doing some good out here. Uh... Meanwhile, many millions of kilometers away, small, chubby engineering ratkin crawls out from behind a console. In his hand is a small bolt. Now, I put everything back together, Gas says. I don't know where this came from. And the credits <laughs> roll. Just realized... Part of the joke was Checkers was left on that station. <laughs> but then, you know, we just utterly disregarded that. It just occurred to me. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Hey, which Checkers did we bring with us? We have multiple Checkers. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. The mystery of the Mirror Universe Checkers. <laughs>